In 2013, Kat Bonner lost her mom in a tragic car accident. She figured out how to manage her grief and is helping other women do the same. On this podcast, you'll hear from other women who have lost their moms and discover the exact coping strategies you need to get through the day and be in the best place you've ever been. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today. More information can be found at catbonner.com forward slash podcast. And if you'd like to join a group of like-minded women, head to Facebook and search for the Life After Losing Mom community. Lastly, if you're looking for help managing your grief, book a complimentary connection call at catbonner.com. So before we get started with the episode, I just want to share something with you. I'm sure you've heard multiple times that grief is an individual process. Well, the people you heard this from aren't wrong because it very much so is. You're probably wondering, how can someone help me when they grieve differently than I do? That's why I'm so passionate about one-on-one coaching that is totally customized to you and your pain points. I let you guide me to ways I can help you. I can only take on three clients at a time, so the spots are limited. I'd love for you to tell me how I can help you in your grief journey. I just wanted to welcome Miss Deborah to the show. Hey, great. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I just like to start off every episode with each woman sharing whatever they want to about the loss of their mom. Okay. Um, wow, that's that's a loaded question. Well, I lost my mom in 2017, which, you know, given that it's 2019, of course, still feels like yesterday. Um, it was uh, the 26th of November, so it was right after Thanksgiving. And ironically, we did not have a formal Thanksgiving. And um, she was local. She lived, um, I live in Northern Virginia with my husband and my son. And she um, had been married to my stepdad for a long time. He passed away about a decade ago. And then she moved here from the Boston area to live locally and um, lived around the corner. She was um, single and she was 74 and and really in, in very good health. And we spent a lot of time together, you know, doing, you know, everyday kinds of stuff, sharing recipes, going shopping, having lunch, et cetera. And she had the flu and she was unhappy and uncomfortable, but you know, nothing extreme. And uh, I just had chatted with her one evening, very informally. She had been feeling better, she said. And then um, the next day, um, and there's a story here, but the next day, you know, in any case, she was, she was, she was gone. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was intense. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's always interesting. I feel like not necessarily to compare deaths, but you look at like expected versus unexpected. Yeah. It's really interesting when you look at, um, you know, the losses that like where, you know, the person was sick, but they got sick really fast. And it's like, by the time you realize they were sick, they were gone. So you literally couldn't, that's almost unexpected, which is the shock is is so hard, you know, and I've been through both. And, you know, like you said, there's no comparing death. It's so awful. 
no matter how you slice it. But, you know, there's an element to the surprise factor that makes it difficult in an entirely different way, just because you have no prior processing emotionally to, to get you prepared at all. And, you know, I was not prepared. And I, we have longevity in the, in my family. And I assumed that she would be around to her mid to late nineties, like all the women in my family. That's crazy. It, yeah. I mean, it really just goes to show that this is going to sound crazy, but how like precious your health is. And I mean, even something yeah. like the flu, I mean, you can't control the flu. Um, but that's like a norm, I guess a not a normal thing. Right. Well, you but didn't like, even think you needed to. I mean, exactly. Most times when you get the flu, you just like, oh, you know, fluids and rest and, you know, maybe some Tylenol and, you know, you soup and you get through it. I mean, no one would think, you know, I need to do anything more, you know, formal to, to combat it. It was the, just the flu. Yeah. It's so, and it's weird because I think death like really puts your life into perspective. It's like, okay, like, I really need to focus on my health, yet we still don't do it. Like, everybody's guilty of it. And it's like, oh, why is that? I don't know. It's probably not Yeah, well, you know, it's not even about it being a balance. We all have great <laughs> ideas about our health, you know, yeah. read Facebook and the internet, and, oh, geez, we have to do this, that, and the other. And then, you know, real life is real life. <laughs> you know, exactly. taking care of your health is certainly a priority, but there's, you know, we're all very life. busy. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so funny. So... Let's see. It seems like your mom like got pretty sick pretty fast. Did yeah? Had she gotten the flu before? Like had she, she been? Had had, sick? Yeah, I mean she had had like bronchial issues and she had had, um, you know, issues with getting like recurring colds and a lot of things like that. And I was you know mildly concerned. She was also pushing herself too hard, so I felt that a lot of it was because she pushing who was pushing herself too hard both sort of what I call in an A-mode level, which is sort of in your regular life. I mean, she was just working too much and she was around kids, which, you know, is a lot of germs, but she was also really doing a lot, a number on herself emotionally by just beating herself up constantly and worrying so much that, you know, there were times that I, you know, was, it was on, it was, um, I'm sorry, it was, it was clear, you know, I would say to her mom, you know, you're worrying yourself to death. Like you're getting sick and you're worrying. It's making it worse. You know, it's one thing to be feeling bad. And, you know, I understand that in a physical, like I said, a mode level, but an emotional level and a, what I call a B mode level, you know, you are making this intrinsically worse on yourself and you're, you know, worrying is, 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 is a killer. It's just, you're, you're, you're hurting your body. Oh yeah, like if people are like you're like gonna worry yourself to death. That is that was yeah, it's that so was true. Which is crazy because worrying just means you care, and it's like okay, where is the balance? You know, well, something's yeah, gotta give. She had a really hard time with balance and her fears about death. And this is another you know area I can go on about, or you know could as the as the interview progresses. But you know, she spent a lot of her time worrying about her health, even prior to this particular bout with flu. And it was obsessive. It was compulsive. It was unhealthy. And um, we talked a lot, the two of us about, about that and about how, you know, she had an irrational fear of death and it led to some, you know, really obsessive worrying, which ultimately, you know, in her case, I felt, I feel led to her death. 
Yeah, that's it's interesting that you say that. And I wonder, did she like get sick a lot each year? Like, did she struggle with like maybe like autoimmune like stuff? She didn't have anything like an autoimmune because I did at one point, she and I did have her do some more formal testing and she had bronchitis at one point. She was hospitalized very briefly and they did, you know, the battery of tests. And so, yes, she got sick a lot. I, yes, big yes to that. And, but anything more uh, underlying? No, Mm-mm. she was healthy, you know, no cancers, no, you know, she exercised, she was active. Um, she didn't have autoimmune. She didn't, you know, she was, she was aging really well. I mean, it was just the flu and like yeah. things just kind of went south. I'm curious, yep. how was like her health growing up or her lifestyle? Like, did she, you know, I guess try to take care of herself later, like kind of too late in life, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. that's pretty, yeah, that's, you nailed it. Um, and I do think in her case and in a lot of cases, um, it was not just not take care of herself physically because she was actually pretty good at that. She always went to the doctor and um, even though she had a lot of anxiety about it um, as she aged, but she, you know, always took care of herself physically, but um, she just could not take care of herself emotionally ever. And I didn't understand that as much, of course, when I was little because I was too little, but as I got older and we became the dynamics of our relationship changed I really came to understand from looking back at how um, she really had no idea how to take care of herself emotionally at all. And that really led to just an across the board attitude of hers. Like she was really at everyone else's mercy, including, I guess, you know, um, times when she was sick. I mean, she was not, she was not empowered at all in, in any situation. It's interesting that you bring up her, like, I guess, like mentally healthy because it yeah. is so, so, so important. Elderly, like, cannot stress that enough because so many things in life are about mindset and, like, exactly. your mentality just around everything that happens. So, do you think that, like, maybe her like decisions in the past regarding, I wouldn't say self-care, but regarding like lifestyle and health, like maybe contributed to her sicknesses like in the future? I think so in the sense that they were emotionally um, bad for her. Like I said, growing up now that I reflect, she never, you know, she always went to the doctor and she ate well and took, you know, medicine she needed to, you know, exercise and all of this. But, you know, she had a series of really unhealthy relationships with her parents, um, her two spouses, um, friendships, other people along the way. And she really set herself up to be the doormat in so many situations. And it, again, ties back into her sense of just needing to be a doormat people please you know she just emotionally put herself second third fourth fifth in so many circumstances with jobs like i said with her two spouses so she sort of set herself up in a way to um not set herself up 
literally because like I said, her health was was pretty good. But I see that a lifetime of putting yourself second or, or less to everyone else's needs and wants and wishes, you know, is debilitating. And it kind of sets you up in as you age. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's hard for me to put into words um, because I do really see a lot of her demise as emotional that led to her being physically just too debilitated to be able to care for herself the way she needed to. Oh my God. You literally just like answered my question. I was about to ask, like, I was like, do you think that, you know, her mental well-being led to her demise? Oh, absolutely. It, people don't think about that. And it's like you, your brain literally gets to the point where it's like, I cannot physically take care of myself anymore because I'm so burned out. And I think, yeah, like, I think that that's key in, in her situation. And probably, like you said, with others too, I really don't feel her death was because of a solely physical thing. I think her death was, had more to do with her mental health than her physical health. Like she had just worked herself into such a frenzy about her fears and her doubts and her insecurities and her worries that one moment when she wasn't feeling a hundred percent and she had the flu and it was, you know, sometime past midnight, she just reached a critical mass and her body shut down. It didn't need to though. Cause it was physically, she didn't need to, it was emotionally and mentally. She just, she did herself in. I mean, yeah, you hear about, you know, people with like dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that. And they're physically like, in great health exactly it's a parallel yeah brain is like but like everything all works together so like exactly it doesn't really matter if you're physically healthy it doesn't matter if you're physically unwell and you're mentally healthy like it just all it's all a compilation exactly things i'm curious how did it make you or how does it you know continue to make you feel knowing that like your mom put everyone else first so much that she didn't think about herself like was it more of a positive or a negative you think for you um well I think I think I know from my own process of you know recovery and and being you know in therapy in my adult life that I was actually one of the people she didn't put first in her life um you know she always took good care of me in the physical sense. I had, you know, food, clothing, shelter, et cetera, et cetera. But she was really distant emotionally. And when it came to circumstances, um, I definitely did not come first. Uh, And so, you know, I look, I don't know, remind me, go back. I'm I'm going on a tangent. Remind me, rephrase the question just one more time. (laughs) Yeah. So I was just asking, like, is it, was it like, how did it make you feel knowing that your mom put everyone else's like well being before her own? Like, were you like, go mom, like, you're so kind to everybody else? Like, does that make sense? Yes, it totally makes sense. And I sort of, like I said, I've gotten a tangent, but no, <laughs> it's I, okay. I, I, I mean, I spent a lot of, my early adult life being really, really angry with her and needing to work through in a therapeutic um, environment, the anger. And I still have a lot of anger towards her because not so much that she didn't take care of me because I've come to terms with it to a degree, but 
anger that she didn't take care of herself for the sheer sake of taking care of herself. I mean, she'd be here today if she could have taken care of herself. And I learned partially from her. And I think just, I think it's, you know, a a nature versus nurture thing, partially just by nature, I'm more aggressive and assertive. So for me, taking care of myself is a no brainer. I mean, that's just something I need to do. And the anger that I had and still have for her you know, has to do with frustration, just watching her kowtow to everyone else's needs and desires and putting herself second, it, it, it pisses me off. And, and like I said, she'd still be here if she didn't do that. And, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm not cut from that cloth. So some of it's nature, but some of it's nurture too, you know, I guess she kind of taught me to behave like that. And I think I, I rebelled against it, you know, because I, I do take care of myself. Yeah, I love that you like mentioned the whole like nature versus nurture thing. And mm. I feel like too, a lot of people, especially when it comes to grief, it's like, okay, like with anything in life, there's a balance. It's okay if you want to help other people, but you come first. And if there's one thing that like I've learned in my grief or just anything mm. in life, it's like you cannot help other people until you help yourself. And right. there's nothing like that, wrong um, with that. You know, you're in the airplane metaphor and the, yeah. you know, and the, you know, the breathing, whatever, if you're, <laughs> what is And the, it's literally just society. The oxygen mask falls down. You're like, everyone knows, you know, you put it on yourself before you assist someone else. Cause you're, you're useless. You can't, you can't help anyone if you're, if you're not, taking care of yourself first you can't be present you can't do anything like that people probably think oh i'm gonna put my oxygen mask on my kid before i help me but i'm like whatever to each their own but it's like how i mean and it's just society just basically telling getting in our heads and making us think that we're selfish but you taking care of yourself is not selfish and that is Mm. literally my biggest pet peeve i'm like no, I put myself first and I'm freaking proud of it. Exactly. Don't be a little dickhead. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think as women, especially in this culture, you know, there's a lot of mixed messages. So there's like lip service to, you know, being empowered. And like I grew up in the seventies and it was women can do whatever they want and we can have, have it all and have jobs and da 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 this, that, and the other, you know, but on the other hand, there's, um, still a lot of pressure to um, be the second, um, not second, but, you know, be, be the caregivers and be the caretakers. And by default, that leaves you oftentimes in a position where you're not taking care of yourself. So I think it's, there's a mixed message and I think it's confusing for women. And I think there's a lot of pressure and I think it's, you know, it, they quote unquote say you can have it all, but I don't know that that's really true unless you're being really mindful and taking care of yourself and balancing things because, you know, um, uh, like I said, I lip service. Yeah, is exactly. a powerful. I don't word, think it's possible know. to do everything. Right. So it's so funny that you like third generation in there or not generation. Mm. Um, the whole like women being a caretaker because that was exactly what was coming to my mind. I'm like, literally, once again, society has this idea that women should take care of everyone else, and I'm like, no, why? Who the heck gave you that idea? It's so false. Um, well, when they you know, do it's that, a, it's an historical thing too. I mean, women have been the caregivers for you know centuries, so it's a natural progress. You know, we 
are going to be the caregivers. So that's been our role. So it gets, I think, tricky, confusing, and complex when it's in a modern time like we're in now, and we're still considered, you know, the caregivers, and we're expected to have this role. And on the other hand, you know, we're more liberated, and you know, there are more choices for us. You know, it's made it more complex, really, in, in a lot of ways, and, and not as empowering or as easy as, as someone as others might think. I think it's very confusing. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. So I am curious, how long would you say after your mom's passing, did it take you to realize that like her kind of past was a part of her demise? Well, I didn't see her death coming, but uh, I knew it the moment. I mean, I, I knew it from the time she died. I mean, you know, I've talked extensively with um, family, especially her one of her sisters who I'm very close with and a cousin of mine who was very close with her as well and you know we can't reiterate enough and we all you know agree that you know she you know really did this to herself and um um I don't know do me a favor and say that again because I definitely yeah no I was just asking like Mm. how like how long did it take you to realize that like, you know, your mom's past like led to her demise, but you said right. it was pretty like instantaneously. Yeah. So um, that's interesting. Yeah. How in the did- sense that like, I mean, there was no question from the moment she died, like this could have been prevented. She didn't allow it to happen and she couldn't have because she didn't have the wherewithal to take good enough care of herself to say, I need help. And it was clear when I was, you know, immediately thereafter and I'm, with my family and we all saw it like, you know, it was an infinite retrospect. It makes, it almost, it sadly makes sense. I mean, it's almost not surprising now that she passed because she didn't have the tools to take care of herself. And she, and she wasn't. Yeah. It's how did that like, I mean, I know you said it made you angry with her, but do you think that it was like, a catalyst for you to make, you know, lifestyle changes, even if you were already taking care of yourself? Like, how did it affect you? Um, I'm still, you know, you're not surprised given the line of work <laughs> you're in. I'm still like in shock and I'm still processing it. And it hasn't, I don't have enough distance from it yet to say like it's influenced me to change in X, Y, and Z kinds of ways because, um, it still feels too close to me and I'm still kind of in shock and I'd already sort of been on a path that was very different than hers anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's part of some of the discussion I've had with, with my close family is, you know, we're all, you know, imperfect and we're all human and, you know, we're women and we have a balance in our lives and, you know, even as hard as things are and, you know, there's, we have a we we see the cup is half full, the glass is half full, and we you know are able to find the joy in between the you know hard times or the moments of sorrow, and see and have op you know we're optimistic and and enjoy things and be present in the moment, and we talk a lot about my how my mom never could do that. I mean, she was not able to be present, not able to stop and experience the joys you know she was so focused on the negative all the time and that's just 
really unhealthy. And there's a degree to which we all talk about it and really just can't understand where she was coming from because we all are able to enjoy each other and enjoy our families and enjoy our lives. And I think we have a really hard time wrapping our mind around the fact that my mom couldn't see beyond the negative at all. Yeah, that's so interesting that you say that. It makes me wonder, you know, you lived before your mom passed, like, a healthy lifestyle. But do you ever think about, I guess, how, like, your lifestyle would will be different in the future? Are you like, oh, I'm absolutely going to put make sure I put myself first so this doesn't happen to me type of thing? Or is it just not in the back of your mind? Is it not in your mind at all? Well, it's something that's in my mind, but it was something that has been in my mind prior to her passing. Mm, okay. I jokingly say one of, I have, you know, my quote unquote advice for, for women, you know, one is, and this is huge and it comes directly from her circumstances, own property. You know, as a woman, I think it's really important to own property. And I'm in a situation where I've been married for a, a you know, pretty long period of time. And, you know, I've planned with along with my husband for you know what will happen if he passes away before I do. And, you know, there's a secure plan in place, a formal plan financially, and there's property involved. And one of the massive things in my mom's Um, that was not in her corner was she and her, my stepdad prior to his death didn't plan for her retirement. So she had no money, no property. I mean, she basically had nothing. And, you know, this was a huge source of worry for her, a huge source of stress, you know, money, we all know it doesn't make us happy, but not having it sure doesn't, you know, sure makes you unhappy. So I knew all along, um, as I was approaching, you know, my middle age, that I had a a vision for what my retirement and my old, uh, you know, later life would look like. And it's going to involve me owning property so that I have access to the funds I'd be able, I need to you know, feed myself the way I need to and go to the doctor without worrying about how much it's going to cost and all of these things that are, you know, seem little, but, but aren't as, as you age. Oh, I love that. Like aspect. I'm like, yes, it's so important because that's just a part of taking care of yourself, making sure that you set yourself up for success or for survival. Hell, I mean, yeah, exactly. it's a little bit more and important. It's heartbreaking to me. Like, and I had said to her prior to my, even my stepdad passing away, like, mom, you know, please urge him, like buy a condo, you know, stop renting, please. They had sold a home they owned. And she said, well, you know, he doesn't want to do it. And, you know, I said, well, why don't you push him? And she said, well, I've tried, but, you know, I don't want to upset him. And, you know, this is a prime example of her sort of kowtowing and taking second fiddle. And, you know, at one point I had urged her, I said, what, just leave him. Like, don't leave him permanently, but maybe just send him a message, like pack your bags and come down and stay with me for a month. Show him that you mean business because, you know, I don't want you to end up without property and some kind of way to retire and live, you know, a healthy, you know, lifestyle. And she just didn't have the um, self-esteem to be able to do that. And then, you know, lo and behold, he passed away, my stepdad. 
And she had, you know, a very small amount of social security to live on. And this is part of what was happening for her when she had moved down here after he died was she was overworked at her job because solely because she needed the money. So I think I witnessed her health deteriorate to a point because she had no choice at age 74, um, but to be working and the actual work was starting to become debilitating to her physically. And if she had planned and had been able to set her needs and, you know, be demanding about what she needed for her retirement and for her aging process, she might not have had to work in this scenario could have been entirely different bless her heart yeah it's so funny that you mentioned that i'm like i don't want to work at 74 hell but people don't think about that and i mean even if you know your mom had someone like you to tell her that they have to tell themselves that like it doesn't and i told her it with a dead horse and she wouldn't listen and guess what happened she had no money she worked herself to a frenzy and she worried herself to a frenzy and she and she died and that and could have been prevented. Becomes a domino effect. Exactly. Little, like and literally, I, the little things in life add up. It's so true. And I didn't see it coming per se. Like I didn't know she would die, but I mean, I saw prior to her even moving for here to where I live from the Boston area where I grew up. You know, do this, this, and this, or else you're going to be in trouble in a decade, lady. And and she was, you know, big, it's so big funny. time. I don't even notice your Boston accent. Just a little side note. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Um, well, so I'm curious, how does it like, how have you coped with like knowing your mom's decisions ultimately led to this situation that you're in, in your life? Um, I think I don't, well, coping is probably not the right word because I'm sort of set up in a situation in my current life where a lot of the pieces are really solidly in place. Mm-hmm. and other than, you know, just plunging in to the grief and dealing with the sadness and the the tragedy of it all and the anger I feel, um, you know, that's sort of just a daily roller coaster. Um, you know, I haven't needed to do anything sort of large on my part to come to terms with her passing. You know, there was certainly like dealing with her estate which is you know a word i use oh my god yeah <laughs> she had no money so she had no estate but anyway, we had bought her a condo and you know she had a lot of another issue she had was she looked to um she looked to uh material possessions as mm-hmm. a way of making herself feel full and whole which of course never worked and we had a that's you know, hours upon hours of dialogue about her, you know, addiction to to buying things, and it was such a like a double edged sword in the sense that she's spending money she didn't have to begin with. She's not really getting what she needs, which is you know she needs emotional. So she she needed something emotional. Obviously, she didn't need you know another set of you know new dishes. <laughs> but I I go down that road because you know prior after she, prior to her death we had you know this condominium to clean out my husband and I that was I mean she had more stuff in that condominium which was 800 square feet than I have in my entire you know 3,000 foot square house I mean it was so dealing with that was hard you know because it was 
not easy to basically like throw your mother away. I mean, I had to just throw all the stuff away that she had bought to make her happy and didn't. And it was really hard emotionally. But other than sort of, you know, in dealing with deciding, you know, what we were going to have her cremated and what to do with the ashes and, you know, sort of, you know, I haven't had much to sort of cope with other than just this incredible loneliness and sadness that I feel, you know, I have a really solid um, present day life. So I think that's made it a lot easier. Yeah, it's interesting that, sorry, I literally use the word interesting like 20 times, um, <laughs> that you mentioned how you were saying like it was hard for you because you felt like you were throwing your mom away. It really yeah. breaks my heart thinking that she thought that these material things would make her happy because so many people think that way and you're like, oh my gosh. I so know. what, I guess, emotions really came from you know, this realization of like these actions ultimately, you know, led to this. Was it more anger or like just depression, loneliness? Oh, you mean like on, on her part that drove her? No. Like how did you feel, I guess, about this situation? Like, you know, like your mom's decisions leading to the situation that you're in. I mean, obviously you're all going to, you know, feel different ways at different times, but I guess like ultimately, like when you were going through her things and that sort mm -hmm. of thing, like tell me more about that. Like what was going through your mind? Well, um, first of all, my husband did a lot of it and I sat out a lot of it. I mean, he's, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. He's amazing. <laughs> Because there were days when he would go over there and just throw away, like he literally just cart things from her condo to the dumpster. And I, I'd just stay home. I, I just couldn't handle it emotionally. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I did participate and I do think about just conceptually, like I'm throwing my mother away and what that was about with all of this stuff that she didn't need. It's, I feel more, Right now, I feel more than anything, I feel sad. It's a, it's a tragedy. I mean, this woman was very isolated and lonely her whole life. She tried to fill herself with things and it didn't work. And no one was really, really able to break through, not even me, her brick wall and get through to that person underneath who was really needy and really hurting and really wanted to connect to the point where she would just kept buying things and buying things and buying things and you know i just it's really sad and this is something i talk about with with my extended family too i mean the big conclusion the big piece is this is a tragedy this is a really sad this is a woman who was really basically isolated and, and extremely lonely her whole life and sad and you know, the kind of sad you feel about it, a, a tragic event is probably the most per pervasive emotion. It's, it's heart-wrenching. It's, and what a waste of a life. Yeah, but I mean, she had you, so I, it's like, you probably think that, but I hope that she didn't. She did. That. And everybody says that because, um, I mean, I'm an only, and that is another dynamic oh. as part of this scenario. I mean, when you're an only child and you lose a mom who's been um, a single parent for your entire life, there's a certain sense of loneliness and isolation that I feel that no one could touch because 
we had a world that we lived in together for the, you know, my whole life that was just the two of us and her not being alive and part of that world anymore and being gone. I mean, that world doesn't exist is super lonely. Um, I don't have a sibling I can turn to and say, gosh, remember when mom blah or gosh, you know, I feel so strange and sad without mom here to see blah. Um, you know, and certainly I have a loving husband and a loving family, but there's a degree to which I feel very alone as an only who lost her mom. Yeah, I could see that. It's not like, yeah. you know, it's like when you grow up, it was like literally, like I say it was me and my mom, but no, like it was literally you and your mom. Literally. So. I mean, they parents divorced when I was 18 months old. So it was, yeah, we had a whole family life, just the two of us. And without her, I, I feel lost still a lot of the time. I mean, I've said, you know, to lots of people that, you know, losing her is like losing a limb. And I think probably a lot of women feel that way when they lose their moms. Oh yeah. You know, what limb would you and, say? <laughs> um, you know, the fact that I, I don't have this world. I mean, this one, you know, like I don't, yeah, I just don't have anyone who really was in the, in the trenches with me in that relationship, in that world. So in a way it's, you know, like I said, it, it's lonely. You know, I miss her. I miss our way of life. It's, you know, I, for the past 50 years I've lived, you know, with her as a mom and just this two of us. Yeah. I'm curious. I love that you were like losing a mom is like losing a limb. I've heard yeah. that, but I've never said it. So what limb would you compare it to? I would compare it to an arm because you use your arms to reach and think for things and hold them. You know, and I think about oh. you, you use your legs to walk and to hold you up. And I never really used my legs to, I never really used my relationship with my mom to walk or hold me up because I've done that on my own. I've been very independent and strong-willed and determined. But I think about your arms and how we as humans use them, like I said, to reach out and hold things and contain things and shelter things and touch and make a, a connection. And I feel that a lot more strongly with regard to, to my mom. And so in that sense, not having her feels like I'm missing one of these implements that I use to, to make a connection, to hold a hand, to put your arm around someone, to contain, to, you know, all those things you associate with, with, you know, your arm as opposed to your leg or your eye or your ear or your toes or your fingers or whatever. Arms are just comforting, right? Yeah. They hug you, you know, they hold, they, they, you know, yeah. And so I do, I feel, yeah, like I'm really missing an arm. Oh my God. I love this analogy. And I totally did not think of this until you asked me this question just now. Like I had not put it into words, but it's like really, it's really powerful. Good. I'm glad. Well, people I love don't, it. Like people don't think about it. And then no, you have somebody great. ask you a question or like you start yeah. talking and you're like, oh my God, what? Like what is coming out of my mouth right now? Like yeah. what is going through my brain? Yeah. Like this is really, it's a light bulb for me and I'm probably going to write either write more about it or do a piece of art around it because it's, it's really powerful. I mean, yeah, it's an arm and it's what arms do. And <laughs> I miss her in that sense in, you know, a very real way. 
And you almost use your arms for art, which is another interesting asset. Yeah. Side note, I love that you like do the art stuff though, because were you like into that before your mom passed? Oh yeah. And you know, this is great because it comes full circle and this is a, you know, a positive, like she is the one, you know, when I was a young girl about 10 or 11, she was the one who signed me up for extracurricular art classes outside of, you know, whatever you receive in public school. And, you know, I went to this art class and I, you know, started to learn how to paint and, you know, the person who was the teacher at the time, this is, you know, back when I was little said, you know, your daughter has, has talent and you should, you know, continue to pursue outside art classes, you know, for her. And so, you know, I kind of jokingly look back and think, well, did this guy really just want my mom's money <laughs> saying, you know, she's really talented, but you know, I have to, you know, think he really saw something in me. And so to my mom's credit, she was the one who started my formal art career. And so what started as art lessons when I was 10 or 11 turned into um, a focus in high school and then a portfolio and going to art school, which led to um, working as um, an independent artist and leading workshops, teaching art, um, being a working artist, having open studio, um, selling art. I mean, it's my career. So really my mom is just to thank for the, she's the one who, who, who laid the groundwork for that. That is so cool. It's interesting that I think emotions too are a lot about creativity. Creativity is a really good healer, I think. And yeah. Especially, I was talking to somebody else on another episode um, earlier, and I was like, you know, everybody has this idea in life that, like, the only way to express your emotions are to, like, write about them and talk about them. And when you look at, like, your catalyst for healing, like, you could literally use your art as a healing tool and sometimes not even know it. Oh, absolutely. Which and is I think insane. I've been doing art therapy in my studio for the past 30 years. Oh my God. <laughs> no that's so that. cool. Yeah. I mean, I knew that, but you know, I, and I'm an abstract artist on the whole. So I have to say, you know, I jokingly have always say, well, I like to scribble. So I think I've been scribbling through my emotions for the past 30 years. Well, it works because grief is a very abstract thing. Yep. And that's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's so palatable. I mean, I go in the studio and I can feel the emotions, you know, and I'm scribbling and I'm, you know, it's all full of energy and I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm, yeah, and I'm, it's colorful and it's intense and it's powerful and it's a lot of kinetic energy and it's, um, you know, it's, it's all about a healing. Yeah. Absolutely. So if there was a woman who I lost her mom and she came to you and she was like, Hey, I struggle with like, you know, my mom's past leading up to her demise. What, like, would you say to her? Um, or what advice? Well, I, say, I get it. <laughs> like, what well, advice would you have for her, I guess? Well, I mean, I wouldn't have any specific advice for that person versus another person who came to me who was grappling with some kind of loss or grief or mm -hmm. issue because I'm always, I always, my knee jerk response is always, you know, use art or use creativity as a, as a tool for healing because it's just worked for me for, for my whole adult life. But I really think so I that it would work for a lot of people, even though, like, not just art, but just the creativeness behind it. Like, yeah. which is, that's interesting. I mean, but you, 
it's important to be confident in knowing like what works for you because you never know when it's going to work for somebody else. Right. And I think that's the important part. Well, and that's in that in the sense that, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I can't do art and you have formal training so you can do, you know, and then whenever I do teach or lead workshops or do anything, you know, I try to remind people that, you know, everyone's creative and creativity doesn't mean yeah. that you can paint something that looks perfect or, you know, this isn't about perfection. This isn't about art critic. This is about the practice of making art and in the moment so that exactly. you can be creative and some kind of contextualize your emotions. It's not about a, a finished product. Not at all. And it's so funny, like, no. oh, you can't do art. Like, yes, you can. It doesn't, like, you're doing it right now. <laughs> if I had a dime for every, I mean, haha, you know, for every time, you know, I can't draw a straight line with the ruler. I'm like, well, neither can I. <laughs> it does, that about doesn't, creativity. you think this it's is what art is? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my default, you know, but I also, you know, gardening, um, I think, uh, you know, cooking, you know, there's a lot of ways to be creative and express yourself, not just, you know, fine art per se, but they're all creative. I mean, it's just about being creative, I think. That's when you just have to talk to somebody and get for different ideas and you're like, wow, yeah. there's so many things I can try. Oh my God, I didn't know this. And then when you find the one that works for you, that's yeah, when you do other people. It. And that's when you just keep, you just kind of like keep the ball rolling. So. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've done with, you know, painting and art. But, you know, if I got that from cooking, you know, I'd just be cooking new creative <laughs> and crazy meals all the time, you know, whatever works, you know. So funny. Well, is there a place that the listeners can find your art? Um, do you like advertise it anywhere? Well, I have a website, um, which is, that's a cute name. It's um, www.thedebweb.com. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So that's a place where I have a, there's, a, you know, posted there is a, are a lot, there's a lot of people. And then I have my, my Facebook page, which I think you'll have a, a link to. And, you know, that's where I'm sort of active present in the present where I tell folks about workshops or I, you know, post artwork or, you know, I post pictures of my kid, you know, whatever, <laughs> my kid. Gotcha. Is it on like your, it's like your personal profile, right? Yeah. It's, it's a page and it used okay. to be a formal art page, but I sort of, you know, started posting and the, the, all the fun stuff about I mean it's important for people to get to know you in that regard anyway. well exactly like it's one thing to show your art and have it be sort of kind of stiff and formal but when people get to know like what's behind it like you know my mom died and my kid did this or you know oh, shit. Vacation or this happened you know it, it makes you yeah so yeah I mean I yeah absolutely I'm findable in that sense and certainly open to always open to talking to anybody who would ever want to you know who feels the same or has gone through anything like I've gone through, you know, just lo lots of, uh, you know, uh, warm vibes and hugs and love. And, you know, this is, this is hard. <laughs> it makes the world go around for sure. Yep. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story. I really appreciate you being here. It was my pleasure. Thank and thank you, because I think that um, it's really good for people, especially women to hear other women's stories about, the grief and the loss, especially with, with a mom, it's really intimate, intense, difficult to navigate um, relationships. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Hey friend, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Before you go, I have four favors to ask you. First, I wanted to let you know that I host a group for women where we share our day-to-day -day stories, challenges, and victories. If you want to come along for the ride, head to Facebook and search for the Life After Losing Mom community. 
Second, if you don't mind leaving me a review and telling me how I've helped you in your grief journey, I would greatly appreciate it. Third, head to catbonner.com forward slash podcast to access previous episodes and subscribe for episodes in the future. Finally, head to catbonner.com to schedule a complimentary connection call with me. I'd love to know more about your grief journey. Always remember that despite losing our mothers, we have flourishing futures. This has been an OutsourceYourPodcast.com production.